All right. Well, I hope everybody this morning is is doing awesome. Um, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to speak this morning. So, as I think everybody knows, so last week, if you had the chance to um, tune in and listen to Tab, Tab started talking about this series and this concept of transformation. And uh, Tab and I got talking a couple weeks ago after we were in a meeting together and, and just praying. And, and in that meeting, I, I actually felt the Lord say to me, I'd like you to speak again soon. And I was like, okay, well, this is a bit weird because it's been years since I've spoken. It's, I have never spoken at this church and I had it my last church, but it's been years. And so that week, actually, Tab calls me and says, hey, I, I really feel like you're supposed to speak on on transformation. I said, well, that's quite a coincidence. So, you know, we did some talking, uh, you know, about kind of what that would look like. And this morning, what I'm going to be really focusing in on, on transformation is specifically transformation of the heart. And for me, this has, and I was thinking about this this morning, just as we were worshiping, for me, there, there was a catalyzing moment where understanding and, re- and renewing what transformation of the heart looks like really came back to me, which was just after I was struck by lightning. And I was kind of thinking to myself, well, why, why did that catalyze in that moment for me? What, what was it? And even this morning as I was driving here, I don't exactly know what it was, but there was something very clear after that event had happened that I felt the Lord had just given me immense peace about everything in life. And not that, you know, I, I don't deviate from that because of course I do, but the stresses that I had before very quickly started to fall away. And understanding this whole thing of, of God doesn't want my actions, right? God, God wants me. He wants my heart. Right, And then there was this song that came out a few months ago by Elevation in Maverick City called Come Again. Go listen to it, please. And the bridge goes like this. It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart. This empty space. It's what you've wanted all along. That bridge right there and that set of words just broke something in me. And I don't know why, but as I started digging into these things and getting back into what I'm going to talk about this morning of Nehemiah, really in focusing in on Nehemiah kind of as a prophetic book, it just started connecting that, Lord, transformation is not about actions. It's not about behaviors. You you want to transform our hearts. You want our hearts. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So before we really get into some of the meat of that, I just, I'm just going to pray before we do. Lord, Lord, thank you for everything that you've done for us. Lord, thank you for everything that you want to give us and how you so tenderly walk us along this journey. And Lord, I pray right now, just like we sang this morning, Lord, Lord, I pray you would breathe your breath into our lungs this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray, I pray that your spirit would be so evident in the homes of people right now. And when they listen, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just come and start to move in people's hearts, Lord, because that is where true transformation is found. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's see if this technology of this clicker works. Yeah, we're good. Okay, so... Before we kind of get into, you know, talking about this concept around transformation of the heart, 
I think it's very important that we determine and define what transformation actually is and why transformation is important. Because I think there's a lot of definitions and ways that we would look at transformation that's very different. And so I think the first part to talk about is, is why is transformation important, right? So we're supposed to be transformed, right? To be more like Christ, but why? And it's not just because that's how God wants us to act. It's actually, in, in my opinion, transformation is for the kingdom, right? It's for the proclamation of the kingdom and this realization that it's not about waiting till we die to, to see the kingdom of God. That Jesus came not just to say that our sins were forgiven when he died on the cross, that was part of it, but the gospel is actually about the proclamation of the kingdom, right? It's not just that our sins are taken care of. It's about that God is here now and wants to move in our lives now. And so it's transformation, not for the sake of salvation or for the sake of morality or for the sake of even, frankly, being more like Jesus. It's actually transformation for the sake of the kingdom in terms of our hearts, right? And as he transforms our hearts, our actions begin to become like Jesus, Right? So, you know, I think that's very important for me is that, you know, transformation is not just about actions. And so I think that's really a lot of the times the way that we perceive it, right? We think transformation is about changing how our brains are hardwired to do the right things, right? And actually, the way that I would look at transformation is saying that true transformation is more like a transfusion of the heart. And when I say that, when we, you know, if you think of what a transfusion is, like a blood transfusion, right? It's when somebody else's blood is given to you, right? And that's where I think transformation lies, is that when the Spirit of God exchanges our heart for his heart, there's an exchange that happens in transformation. And one of the, one of the verses that I think puts this so well is in Ezekiel 36, and it says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This for me catalyzes transformation. Is that there's this whole prophetic picture I see in this verse of the Ten Commandments, right? That they were chiseled into, uh, you know, stone tablets, right? And that was what, in the Old Testament, was given to the Israelites as an understanding of how to follow and be transformed to be like what God wanted them to be, right? And Ezekiel takes this concept and he says, no, in, in the new days, I want to put my spirit in you. I want to remove your heart of stone that I have to chisel into and beat to death, and I want to give you a heart of flesh that I can touch very softly and break you for the things of the kingdom. Right? This is where transformation begins. In an ability to soften our hearts and let the Lord touch us tenderly and we change and feel it immediately. Not that he has to come in there with a jackhammer to write his decrees and laws on our hearts. And that is through the Holy Spirit that we get a new heart, right? As Paul says, we're a new creation when we become in Christ, right? So, 
kind of flipping over to, you know, Nehemiah and how I think that these connect. Nehemiah, to me, has been a book that has uh, been very important to me and marked me for a long time. And this morning, what I want to focus on with Nehemiah is kind of the overarching prophetic understanding and how this book relates to transformation. Because I think that there's three main parts of Nehemiah that give us a great model to understand and better enter into transformation. So, for anybody who has not read Nehemiah before, I will give a very quick overview of the book and then get into kind of some of the specific points. So, Nehemiah is a person who's a cupbearer for the king of Persia. So, in a timeline, um, so Babylon came uh, and took over Israel and Judah. Babylon at this point has actually been defeated and Persia is now reigning, but there are still a lot of Israelites in exile. Not all of them, but a lot of them are still in exile. So, Uh, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. So as a cupbearer, that was actually a very high-ranking position in the government. So the fact that he was an outsider, but he was doing this, he already had a lot of favor with the king, right? So he was a cupbearer, and he hears of the ruin that Jerusalem is in. In chapter 1, and immediately when he hears of this ruin, he falls down and weeps for days, it says. After this happens, he actually approaches the king and asks the king for a few things. So he requests that the king will grant him leave to go and steward the rebuilding of the wall. And he also asks him basically to finance the entire project and to keep them safe, which is very similar to what happened, and Tab touched on this last week, with Cyrus and Ezra, as there was a commission and an ask of going to be rebuild the temple, I don't know what, 30, 40 years earlier? Something like that, 30, 40 years earlier. So a very similar thing happened, and Cyrus again did the same thing for Ezra. So after that, Nehemiah goes to, uh, goes to Jerusalem. A bunch of people come with him. They start rebuilding the wall. There's lots of opposition that happens between uh, three individuals mainly um, who are trying to stop them from rebuilding the wall. And uh, they start rebuilding the wall and, and make good progress. Um, there's a point in time where Nehemiah stands up for the, for the poor and the unjust, which I, I found was interesting. It's a bit of a side note where in the midst of all this building, Nehemiah takes time to make sure that other people aren't charging too much interest and making people have to sell their family and back into slavery. And he actually corrects that, which I found was interesting. And then there's you know, lots of progress made on the wall. And then kind of the end of Nehemiah, and then this kind of ties into Ezra 7, is, and Ezra and Nehemiah are very similar books. They talk about the same thing. So at the end of Nehemiah, Ezra comes in, who's a priest, and he reads the law. And the people are very broken by what they hear. And it turns into mass confession and what you would almost call a bit of a revival that starts happening within, within Jerusalem, right? And so that's kind of the book of Nehemiah in a, in a nutshell. So the first part that happens in Nehemiah and I love this icon that I found, by the way, because it has a lightning bolt in it. It's fantastic. Um, so in chapter one of Nehemiah, there's a movement of his heart towards the, the brokenness of Jerusalem, right? And it wasn't just the walls of Jerusalem that were in disarray, but it was the hearts of, of, of the Israelites. So prophetically, there was something practical that was broken, but you see as they go through this process in Ezra reading the law and seeing what happens is there was a brokenness of, the, of their hearts. There, there was a lack of understanding who God was and what he had called them to, right? 
So that's kind of the one main part of Nehemiah. And I think this is very important for us to remember is that in transformation, when we are being transformed, I believe that it always has to start with a movement of our hearts aligning to God's hearts. And so I think that that's one thing where we need to be very aware in the process of transformation that it doesn't default to us assessing our brains and our actions only, but that we need to soften our hearts and be willing to let God come in and, and, and speak to us. The next portion of Nehemiah, where he goes and requests something from the king. Nehemiah didn't just have his heart broken and moved, but he actually did something with that. It's not enough that we just have our hearts broken and moved by the Father, but we actually have to get off our butts and move our feet. And this is where there's a lot of risk that happens in this movement of our feet, right? You got to think, what, did, what was Nehemiah going and requesting? He was going to the king of a foreign country that he was not belonging to. And he was, he was uh, probably putting the, his life on the line, putting his job on the line for sure, and risking a lot to request the things of the king that he was going to request. But he knew that the Lord had favor on him. And I, I'll touch on it a little bit lo- um, later, but there, he, was act- he was afraid. Nehemiah writes that he was afraid of going and making this request. So there's a movement of his feet that happens after there's a moving of his heart. And then the third thing that happens is that there's a movement in other people's hearts. That Nehemiah starts to catalyze what he felt the Lord saying to him and the action that he took and bringing others into this narrative that God was calling the Israelites back into, which again, was not about a wall. That wall was a prophetic picture of the ruin of the people and their hearts, right? So he calls them back into this and they follow. And they, again, they also then risk their lives rebuilding the wall. As you see throughout Nehemiah, you know, they're working with one hand and, you know, building bricks in a wall, and then they have a sword in the other hand because of the opposition that they were facing, right? So there was obviously a movement in their hearts as well to risk those things to rebuild the wall. And so through Nehemiah and and other things that I'm going to highlight, this is kind of where I landed, And it might be a little bit controversial because I know the word emotion sometimes rubs people the wrong way, but I'm going to get into it a little bit. So I believe that true transformation is driven by emotion and activated through risky action. True transformation is driven by emotion and activated by risky action. So the, the first part of that, Emotion that is grounded in scripture. So I believe that when it comes to the word emotion, you probably had one, or, one of two responses to that. You probably either got a little bit uncomfortable when I said the word emotion, or you were like, yes, that's exactly how I love to feel life, very emotionally and, and it's right down my alley. And I think that's where there's really two camps here, right? There's people who would maybe default to saying, no, emotion is not a good thing to show. Emotion can lead me astray. How could I trust my emotions because they've done so many bad things to me in the past, right? Which again, 
that is grounded in scripture is for, is for you people who feel that way, right? Our emotion needs to be grounded in an understanding of scripture of who we are and who God is. But as I'll highlight in a few scriptures, emotion almost always is something that happens prior to transformation in many different scenarios scripturally. So first, in Nehemiah 8, 5, and 6, like I was saying before, when Ezra came and started preaching, it says, Ezra opened the book, all the people could see because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Interestingly enough, and I find this, I find this as kind of a marker of transformation in the Old Testament, is that you got to understand here, the Israelites knew the scriptures, right? The Israelites were not hearing this for the first time. They were probably hearing it for the 500th time. And all of a sudden, the penny drops and their hearts are broken for what they've heard 500 times. And you see this as a trend throughout the Old Testament. There's nothing new happening here. God is always saying the same things to us. Always. It's about, are are our hearts soft enough for that to land properly? Right? Through the work of his spirit. Again, in Nehemiah 8 and 11, it says, The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to drink, to send portions of food to celebrate, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. That's hearts, not information. That's that it landed on their hearts. So, back in, or forward, when Jesus is uh, doing his ministry in John 11, it says this. This is when um, Lazarus died. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come see, Lord. They said, they replied, Jesus wept. So our example of what it looks like to live for the kingdom is weeping. Jesus knew he was going to heal Lazarus. He actually talked about it in verses prior. He told the disciples what he was going to do, and he still was moved, right? There's the time of the, um, the woman who was bleeding, right? And he, she reached out and grabbed, and grabbed, and he was moved by compassion, right? So Jesus, who already knows what's going on, could be the most stoic dude ever and just go and crush miracles left, right, and center, was emotionally moved. Continually, actually. We don't see this once. We see this multiple times. Right? So again, for anybody who's in the camp, I'll put my hand up, I can tend to be in this camp, of emotion leads me astray, and probably most men, let's be honest here, emotion, we like to shove it down. I only have one emotion, and it's anger. Right? Okay? Men and women who fall into this category, we need to understand, and again, it's not about weeping, it's not about that, but if we resist our hearts to be moved, we will not be transformed into the leaders that we need to be for our families, 
for our communities, right? I just found that so awesome that Jesus is moved in the same way that normal people like Nehemiah are moved in, right? And then again, in Acts 9, where it talks about Saul and his conversion, it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you, uh, as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Interestingly enough, I always read this story and recalled it, that Jesus appeared to Saul and had that amazing experience and Saul was transformed. Actually, what happened was Saul was confused and hungry and broken and very not knowing what was going on. And he didn't get transformed until Ananias came and prayed for him. He saw the Lord in the middle of the road and was not transformed yet. It was a part of transformation, but the activation of transformation for Saul was through the Holy Spirit. Was through the transformation of a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. In the next chapter, or in the next verses after this, Saul's preaching right away. Right? This was the catalyst of transformation for Saul. The Holy Spirit coming and what I would say is softening his heart. So now... The second part of transformation I see is is going back to what I said before. So true transformation is activated through risky action that is grounded in scripture and stirred by our hearts. If we hop over to Nehemiah again, like I briefly said before, this is Nehemiah 2 when he goes to ask the king after his heart has been broken for what's happening in Jerusalem. So the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed in the fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. It wasn't just enough that his heart was broken. But he practically went forward out of that and risked a lot to see transformation come to the city of Jerusalem and to the people of Jerusalem and the Israelites right? And so, you know, this is where, you know, going through this, this concept of transformation, I wasn't going to touch on this, but I think it's important because I was wrestling with, you know, in, um, I can't remember exactly where it is, but Paul talks about in the New Testament of be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And I was kind of wrestling a little bit because I actually don't see the renewing of your mind being a catalyst of transformation, in, in the scriptures, practically speaking. And I think, you know, it's important to understand that Paul was speaking to a Greek audience, right? Who is very, you know, tied up in philosophy and philosophers and, and that time. And so I, I really believe that it doesn't contradict this, right? I, I believe that that was a specific message for a specific type of people who were doing a certain type of thinking. And, you know, that's how they went through society, right? So at the end of the day, this is kind of, information may cause new believing while emotion 
ignites new behaving, right? It's very clear to me, and you know, I'm sure you've experienced this in your lives, that you know, maybe there's something you struggle with that you want to change, right? And you go about every which way of trying to change it yourselves. Oftentimes, I don't think it works at all, or it's incredibly unsustainable. And you find yourself falling right back into those same patterns that you always have because you tried to do it through rewiring of your brain and new information, right? What the Lord says in Ezekiel 36 is that when he removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, he puts our spirit in us and that is what moves us to follow his decrees and to keep his laws. That transformation has nothing to do, frankly, with your ability to behave differently, but it has everything to do with your willingness to enter in to a heart transformation with the Lord. And I believe that at some level, we all know this to be true, but this is a very painful and scary process to enter into because it's very raw it's very telling, and it is extremely uh, risky. Because when we have an exchange of our heart of stone, and the Lord gives us a heart of flesh, we're called, often called into risky action, which we may or may not want to enter into. Right? For me, personally, one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that, before I was struck by lightning, that I struggled with a lot was finances. And really, that comes down to, I did not trust God to actually take care of us, right? I I didn't trust God that he actually was going to provide for us. So therefore, I needed to hold those things tight because it was mine to manage, not his. And so after I got struck by lightning, practically speaking for me, that just does not matter to me anymore. Every once in a while, it creeps up, but very, very infrequently. And that's because I believe that the Lord transformed my heart of stone around money and gave me a renewed heart of generosity. And now, because Emily and I have a heart of generosity, the Lord has moved us more in the past six months to be generous than he ever has. And it's not a begrudging thing, right? It's a get-to. It's not a, I have to. It's not a, well, Jesus would have done it, so I should probably give away all my money, right? It's a, we get to bless people. We get to enter into this thing. So I think the big thing that I want to leave you all with is really, if you are looking to be transformed and you're looking to enter into a new season with the Lord, it all starts with a transformation of our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And the only way that that happens is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're, if you're at home and watching this live or, or as a recording after or, or, or whatever, I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes. And if you're comfortable, just raise your hands, to, you know, as just a sign of receiving an openness. And, and I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Because if he doesn't come, transformation will not happen. If he doesn't invade your life, transformation will not happen. You might strive for behavioral transformation, 
But transformation for the sake of the kingdom will not happen without the moving of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, we are lost without you. We are like, we are like the Israelites who wandered for 40 years without you. We think we're striving. We think we're, we're going for the right things. We think we're, you know, making progress, but we're actually just walking around in circles. And Lord, you've said that transformation is about our hearts, Lord. That's, that's what you want. You want our hearts, Lord. And we know that when you have our hearts, that causes new behaving. But new behaving is not what we're after. We're after new understanding of who you are. We're after a revelation of what it looks like to have a heart of flesh. We're after being open to be broken so much that you can have our money, you can have our time, you can have whatever you want, Lord, because we will hear and understand what you're asking us, Lord. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you break through? Would you invade people's houses right now? for the sake of your kingdom. For the sake of proclaiming to people who don't know you that your kingdom is here now, that it's not about what happens when we die, if we go to heaven or hell or or any of that, Lord. It's about your kingdom is here now. And that we want to enter in to who you are and what you have for people today. That we want to enter into stewarding your love to people now and invading their lives here and creating wholeness for people. So Lord, as we go out of here today and we, and we just get back into worship, Lord, I pray that you're just, your spirit would come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.